Welcome to the Facts Are What Matter podcast, where we discuss the lies, the myths, and the propaganda being promoted by the media and society. Let's all be informed, not uninformed, or even worse, misinformed. Here we go. Welcome to the Facts Are What Matter. I'm your host, Dave Swinford, and in this episode, we're going to explore some of the facts on the coronavirus that may have not been evident in some of the media coverage and we're going to try to piece piece some facts together that that you may not be aware of. So, as always, I always like to talk about the motivations for this uh, podcast. And actually, it's really just to educate listeners and supply you with information that you can use to counter the misinformation that's promoted by the media and the politicians. Some key principles, of course, that I that I like to present that I always remind myself of when I listen to uh, the talking heads on television. Lie a little, lie a lot. So when someone's willing to lie to you, misrepresent or withhold the key facts a little bit to get their way, they're usually willing to lie a lot to get the outcome they want. If they're willing to tell a few small lies, then what's stopping them from telling a really big lie? Always follow the money. It's always about the money. And of course, you can always replace the money, the word money with power or greed. And this isn't a new principle but it's easy to forget sometimes the underlying motivation for the media and the politicians is always power and money. And you get what you reward, you get what you accept. If you give people prizes for being criminals or liars, you're going to get more of the same. If you're willing to accept a little bit of criminal activity or lies, then you can expect a lot. And as always, share what you know is the truth. Call out the lies and the misconceptions when you see them. Educate your friends and family with the facts in a gentle and kind way, gentle and kind of way as you can, because they may be spending way too much time watching mainstream media. So, okay, let's get started. So this episode has been a little bit hard to put together because it's sort of a jumble of facts on COVID-19 probably going to mention some of the misconceptions or lies about COVID-19. And uh, I'm going to play some clips from some viral videos that have been going around the internet, some of which you may have already seen or heard, some of which you may not have. And and the whole point of this is try to stitch together some of the uh, facts, some of the information that's out there that's not put all together in one spot and try to make it a little bit more clear what's really going on with this virus. So just going to start off with um, the fact that this is this virus is spread by an aerosol. There's been a lot of talk in the past about cleaning surfaces and droplets and social distancing and all those kinds of things. But from everything that's been researched and I've seen so far, it's really spread by aerosols. And there's a really good discussion of aerosols by a Stephen Petty. He has a podcast called The Petty Podcast. It's on YouTube and it's also on Rumble. And uh, he does a really good discussion of the difference as an aerosol and a particle or a droplet. And just to give you some visual thought about it, um, and he actually has this in one of his videos, you think about those dust particles when you look at the, a sunbeam coming in through a window into the room and you see all those little dust particles floating in the air. Well, those are 50 to 100 times larger than a virus. And you see those things suspended in the air. They just kind of hang there, right, for a while. And you see them moving around. Um, or you can think about, say, fog outside. You get out on a foggy morning, and you see that fog hanging in the air, and it just kind of hangs there. So that's sort of what you can think of for a um, an aerosol. So aerosols, if you think about an aerosol, you know, masks, masks aren't going to work with that because they're hanging there. Things go in and out of those masks. Um he mentions in this in his podcast that asbestos is like 50 times larger than a virus. And you think about asbestos removal and, and the 
masks that they wear for that. They don't wear those simple cotton surgical masks to remove asbestos. They don't wear bandanas to remove asbestos. So as virus is way too small to be stopped by mask. And there, there were several studies before COVID. If you go back and look, there were studies way before COVID broke out that said this. And I downloaded some of those and they disappeared after Fauci came online and said, oh, yeah, everybody's got to wear a mask. And suddenly you couldn't find those in the Internet anymore. And there was a recent study by a bunch of army uh, bases and, and that just just recently. And they basically said the same thing. So there's been, there was a study in in Denmark uh, that said the same thing. There was a study in South America, all these studies. And they they say it. And people say, oh, but mask up, wear your mask. Like it's it's like a religion. It's like a religion. They know it's not, they don't care if it's true or not. They just believe. They have to have something to believe. But this uh, Dr. Stephen, this, I don't know if it's Dr. Stephen Petty, but Stephen Petty, he talks a little bit about the differences in droplets and, and aerosol. And so a droplet can be in the air for something like a tenth of a minute to 10 minutes. You know, think about a droplet like a, like a spit particle or something coming out of your mouth. You know, some kind of thing like that. And he, he talks about Stokes' law. It's a it's a uh, aerodynamic law, and um, and he applied Stokes' law and did the computation and figured out that droplets can stay in the air anywhere between a tenth of a minute to ten minutes. An aerosol. An aerosol the size of a virus can stay in the air for days and days and days. So depending on the, if the air is still or if the air is moving, if there's any ventilation or not, it makes a big difference. It can stay. So <laughs> his example was, you know, somebody was on aisle four, walking up and down aisle four, breathing, emitting virus particles. You could come down aisle four the next day and get this and get and breathe in these virus particles because they're still hanging in the air. Of course, people moving back and forth generates air currents and those things move around. They may move over to the aisle five or aisle six or aisle two, but they're hanging in the air. So that's one that's 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 a I think a fundamental thing that uh, gets lost sometimes is that is the role of an aerosol. So there's this doctor, Dan Stock. Um, he has a website, purehealthmed.com. And he was testifying to a, I believe it was a school board in his area, particularly uh, about students and school masks and, and situations. But he, he dropped a bunch of truth bombs here. So let's listen to this. And then we will go back and make a comment at the end and and pull out some of the, he drops a whole lot of things in a hurry. And we'll go back and discuss some of those things. Dr. Dan Stock, uh, 5777 West 700 North McCordsville, Indiana. Um, to, to address your comment, geez, it's hard to believe we're 18 months into this and still having a problem. And I would suggest the reason we still have a problem is because we're doing things that are not useful. And we're getting our sources of information from the Indiana State Board of Health and the CDC, who actually don't bother to read science before they do this. Um, I'm actually a functional family medicine physician. That means I am specially trained in immunology and inflammation regulation. And everything being recommended by the CDC and the State Board of Health is actually contrary to all the rules of science. So things you should know about coronavirus and all other respiratory viruses, they are spread by aerosol particles, which are small enough to go through every mask. By the way, the literature that supports all of that is in a flash drive that we presented to you. It's been given to the secretary. Okay, so he talks there about aeros being spread by aerosol particles, right? We just talked about aerosol particles and how small they were, how masks are ineffective. We had a, had a whole podcast on how masks are ineffective. So we'll see what else he says here. As a matter of fact, it quotes at least three studies <laughs> sponsored by the NIH to that exact fact, even though the CDC and the NIH have chosen to, to ignore the very science that they paid to have done. 
Um, that is why you keep struggling with this, is because you cannot make these viruses go away. The natural history of all respiratory viruses is that they circulate all year long, waiting for the immune system to get sick through the winter or become deranged, as has happened recently with these vaccines, and then they cause symptomatic disease. Because they cannot be filtered out and they have animal reservoirs, and this is a very important point, no one can make this virus go away. The CDC has managed to convince everybody that we can handle this like we did smallpox, where we could make a virus go away. Smallpox had no animal reservoirs. The only thing it learned to infect was humans. That's why we were able to make that virus go away. That will not happen with this any more than it will with influenza, the common cold, respiratory syncytial virus, adenoviral respiratory syndromes, or anything else that has animal reservoirs. Okay, so this is huge. This is really huge. What he's saying here is it's never, it's never going away. Now, we weren't told that. We weren't told that in March of 2020 when they shut everything down. We were told we were going to get to herd immunity and we're going to be good to go. We were, going to, we were 15 days to slow the spread. Yeah, people are going to get sick. Eventually, we're going to get to herd immunity. Oh, we're going to get to herd immunity with the, with the vaccine and we're going to be good to go. Everybody, this will go away. We'll be good to go. That's not what he said. He just said it lives in it lives in animals. And you know he's right, because they had a situation where there was gorillas in the Atlanta Zoo. They found coronavirus in these gorillas. They found forty percent of the white tailed deer population has antibodies to the coronavirus. They they found coronavirus in in big in tigers and lions. They found coronaviruses in pets. So it lives in the animal population. And as long as it lives in the animal population and in the human population, it's going to get spread around. It's going to mutate. It's going to change. It's going to be just like the flu, just like a cold. And it's not going away. You can't vaccinate yourself out of a cold virus. A a doctor friend that I'm really, really close to, we were talking one day. I said, is this going away? He said, it's a coronavirus. I'm like, okay. He's like, we've never had a vaccine for a cold. It's a cold virus. You, There's no vaccines for colds. I was like, oh, you're right. No one's told you that. No one in the media tells you that. There's no one on CNN or MSNBC or even Fox that tells you you cannot vaccinate yourself out of a cold. Okay, let's see what else he says here. So the reason you can't do this is because you're trying to do something which has already been tried and can't be done. Equally important is that vaccination changes none of this, especially with this vaccine. And I would hope this board would start asking itself before it considers taking the advice of the CDC, the NIH, and the State Board of Health, why we are doing things about this that we didn't do for the common cold, influenza, or respiratory syncytial virus. And then ask yourself, why is a vaccine that is supposedly so effective having a breakout in the middle of the summer when respiratory viral syndromes don't do that? And to help you understand that, you need to know the condition that is called antibody-mediated viral enhancement. That is a condition done when vaccines work wrong, as they did in every coronavirus study done in animals, on coronaviruses after the SARS uh, outbreak, and done in respiratory syncytial virus, where a vaccine used in a vulnerable individual done the wrong way, which why cannot be done right for a respiratory virus, which has a very low pathogenicity rate, causes the immune system to actually fight the virus wrong and let the virus become worse than it would with native infection. And that is why you are seeing an outbreak right now. In fact, in that flash drive you're going to have coming to you and in the emails with six extra, there will be a study showing that 75% of people who had COVID-19 positive symptom cases in Barnstable, Massachusetts outbreak were fully vaccinated. Okay, so let's stop here just a second. So what he's saying is the vaccinated people are still getting the virus. Now, that's not what they told us. When they told us we were going to get this vaccine back in December of 2020, it was 90% effective. Now, when you hear those terms and you say, hey, this virus, this vaccine is 90% effective, 
to me, that implies that you will not get the virus. But that's not what happened. That's not even close to what happened. Now, I've heard multiple cases of people who are fully vaccinated, and by that I mean they've had two doses, and more than two weeks after the second dose, people who are fully vaccinated getting the virus. To me, that's not not 90% effective. So, let's see what else he says. Therefore, there is no reason for treating any person vaccinated any differently than any person unvaccinated. You should also know that no vaccine, even the ones I support and would give to myself and my children, ever stops infection. In 2014, there was outbreak of mumps in the National Hockey League. The only people who came down the symptoms were the people who were unvaccinated or unknown vaccine status. Boy, that sounds like a great argument for vaccines. But a question that you should ask yourself, knowing that half of the people who came down with symptomatic disease had no contact with an unvaccinated or unknown vaccine status individual, where did they get the disease? And the answer was from the vaccinated individuals. No vaccine prevents you from getting infection. You get infected, you shed pathogen. This is especially true of viral respiratory pathogens. You just don't get symptomatic from it. So you cannot stop spread. You cannot make these numbers that you've planned on get better by doing any of the things you're doing because that is the nature of viral respiratory pathogens. And you can't prevent it with a vaccine because they don't do the very thing you're wanting them to do. Okay, here's an important point. Don't miss this point. What he's saying is, if you've been vaccinated, if you've been vaccinated, you can carry the pathogen, you can be infected, and basically pass it along to other people. So the vaccinated people are the carriers. The vaccinated people are the people who are asymptomatic now. Maybe before they wouldn't be asymptomatic, but now they're asymptomatic and they're passing it along to other people who may or may not be vaccinated. And you will be chasing this the remainder of your life until you recognize that the Center for Disease Control and the Indiana State Board of Health are giving you very bad scientific guidance. And instead, read the articles that are going to come on the email and are on this flash drive and listen to the people in this audience here tonight who actually have recognized the advice they are getting from the CDC and the NIH is counterfactual. And that's why you're still fighting this with this vaccine that supposedly was going to make all of this go away, but has suddenly managed to make an outbreak of COVID-19 develop in the middle of the summer when vitamin D levels are at their highest. By the way, the other thing that would be necessary, any vaccine restriction to be considered is if there were no other treatment available. And I can tell you, having treated over 15 COVID-19 patients, that between active loading with vitamin D, ivermectin, and zinc, that there is not a single person who has come anywhere near the hospital. And we already have studies that show that if you achieve a 25-hydroxy vitamin D level greater than 55, your risk of COVID-19 death will drop down to one quarter of the population average for the United States. And there are active treatment trials included on that flash drive that show the same is true. So if you were going to discriminate based upon vaccine, you should also discriminate based upon 25-hydroxy vitamin D level, zinc taste test response, and probably previous infections, since there are also studies on that flash drive that show that people who have recovered from COVID-19 infection actually get no benefit from vaccination at all, no reduction in symptoms, no reduction in hospitalization, and suffer two to four times the rate of side effects if they are subsequently vaccinated. Okay, so another point we need to make in here is we've all heard about the situation in Israel. Israel is one of the most heavily vaccinated countries in the whole world. Like 75% or more of the population in Israel is vaccinated. They had a huge spike this summer, huge spike. Both vaccinated and unvaccinated people ended up infected and in the hospital. As part of this this situation, they did a study, and they found out that that people that had previous infection and, pre, and had recovered from it had twenty seven times twenty seven times the 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 antibodies as the people who had just the shot, just the jab. So previous infection should get you out of having to take a vaccine. 
Therefore, the policies that you are basing on are totally counterfactual. I don't blame this board for that because I know you aren't scientists and you've thought it was reasonable to listen to the CDC, NIH, and the Indiana State Board of Health. But I would encourage that instead you listen to the people out here in this audience and read what's on that data drive. And if anybody here in this board has any questions about anything on that, I will happily come back and sit with you individually if you would like to explain the science behind this. And if you're worried about being sued by somebody because you don't follow the guidance of the CDC and the NIH, I will tell you have a free pro bono expert testimony at your disposal. I will testify in defense of this board, turning down all these recommendations for free at any time in any court. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Dr. Dan Stock dropping a bunch of truth bombs there. So what are some of the other things that we could talk about that are some of the truths that, that are kind of hidden? Um, you know, this, this summer there's been a spike. It's all over the South. And they talk about the Delta variant and, you know, it's how bad it is and yada, yada, all this stuff. But they leave out some of the, and they talk about how it's affecting kids now more. And maybe, but then they talk about, there's a, they did an analysis. It says the pediatric mortality from COVID in Florida is below the flu levels. So for all of 2020, there were 22 pediatric deaths from influenza in Florida. So for all of 2020 and all in 2021 combined, there've only been 15 pediatric deaths from COVID-19. So there was less deaths from COVID-19 than there was from the normal flu virus, the the normal flu. And if you go look at the annual deaths among children in the United States per 100,000, and let's just take, age five to age 14. The number one is cancer. Number two is vehicle accidents. Number three is suicide. Number four is homicide. Number five is cardiovascular disease. That's a strange one, right? Number six is drowning. Number seven is flu and pneumonia. Number eight was COVID. And that went from cancer at 2.1 per 100,000 to COVID at 0.2 per 100,000. And this was published in the, in the uh, New York Times, and the source of the data was the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. So there you go. So COVID is way down the list for children. So, and if you look at it, the data now, we're, we're past, this is middle of September, and we're past this peak I know in Alabama, our numbers are, our cases are falling like a rock. Hospitalizations are starting to come down now, but the cases are, are dropping way, way, way fast. And a lot of people have have said that is because of uh, people going inside for the heat of the summer and they, they're getting reinfected or getting infected because they're hanging out inside. And you think about, you think about a cold virus Many times, there's like a summer cold that'll go around and people will get a, what's known as a summer cold. They were also touting that, that this uh, Delta variant was, was as bad as chickenpox, right? As bad as chickenpox. Well, it turns out that's a lie. It turns out that the viral R0, which is how how rapidly it can spread or replicates. Um, it's been a little over one for COVID, right? So if it's below one, it's decreasing, it's above one, it's increasing. We've all heard those kind of terms. It turns out that the R0 of chickenpox is 10, is 10. So the, so the little comment that the CDC said that the Delta variant is as contagious as chickenpox is not accurate. No, in fact, that's a lie. That's a stinking lie. So it's not anywhere close to chickenpox. We've also been told that this vaccine, of course, is going to have this long-lasting immunity. And we know that's not true now. We know these vaccines, which some people got as early as November, December, maybe January. Now they're talking about having booster shots especially if you got the Pfizer vaccine. 
and they're talking about if you've had it for more than it started off it was eight months then it was six months now it's five months and now it's like oh no 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 we don't we don't need to we, we don't we don't need to tell people that so what is it who knows i don't know we mentioned that the people in israel are fully most of these people in israel that are in in the hospital are fully vaccinated or fully vaccinated and we also have learned now that the natural immunity is long lasting much more long lasting than the vaccines and of course in february the glorious dr fauci said that the vaccine immunity was longer broader and more durable than natural immunity let me repeat that in february 2021 Dr. Fauci said that vaccine-induced immunity was longer, broader, and more durable than natural immunity. Of course, now we know that the vaccine immunity wanes with time, and it has to be refreshed as often as maybe as every five months. But on the other hand, of course, this natural immunity is looking like it's very long-lasting. So the question is, and Dr. Dan Stock mentioned it, is this, it's this, uh, what happens over time with these vaccines? You know, these vaccines are what's considered, you call leaky. And uh, leaky vaccines cause viruses to mutate faster and become more deadly because um, the virus can live inside a vaccinated person and it mutates and it tries to escape and goes over to other people um, and gets them infected. So the question is, are vaccines pushing, are vaccinated, vaccines and vaccinated people pushing these pathogens to evolve more rapidly? And I don't know the answer. Um, there's been a lot of people who claim that. There was a, Merrick did a disease immunization for baby chicks, a study back in the 70s, and uh, found out that this was a, this was a problem, that the vaccines, leaky vaccines, cause these pathogens to evolve more quickly and uh, basically killed off all these uh, baby chicks. So leaky vaccines are a problem, and it can uh, cause an issue. So also we learned, and we, you know, Dr. Dan Stock mentioned it. I you know, mentioned to you that they did a study in August of white-tailed deer which are in all 49 states in the continental U.S., and almost half of them, 40%, had COVID-19 antibodies. 40%. 40% had COVID-19 antibodies. The gorillas in the zoo in Atlanta had COVID-19 antibodies. They had tigers. They found tigers and, and lions that had COVID-19 antibodies. So we know COVID-19 lives in these animal reservoirs. It mutates, lives in there. Whether it jumps back from from animals to humans, that's probably pretty pretty evident. That it probably would happen because how else did they get it? So there was another uh, big truth teller that was uh, testifying to a state board, and this is Dr. Christina Parks. And Dr. Parks had this testimony to uh, HB forty four seventy one, and that was back in. August uh, 19th of this year. So I was going to play a little bit of her uh, testimony. And it much of it mirrors what Dr. Dan Stock said, but it's interesting to hear another uh, person's perspective on this. Hello, my name is Dr. Christina Parks. I received my PhD in cellular and molecular biology right here in the state of Michigan from University of Michigan Medical School. And um, so I'm very well versed in the science of both these mRNA gene therapy, vaccines, this kind of technology, as well as what a vaccine is designed to do in the body, what it can do, what it can't do, and the fact that this is extremely complex science that has been oversimplified in the media to basically take away our freedom of choice. What I want to address today in this limited time is the fact that vaccine requirements and mandates are based on the faulty assumption that the vaccines in question prevent transmission of the pathogen, right? Does the vaccine for DTaP prevent transmission? No. Does the vaccine for flu prevent transmission? No. 
does do the vaccines for COVID prevent transmission? No. In fact, they were never designed to do that. All right, so you're asking, what about this 95% effectiveness? If you look at those clinical trials, they do not say that they prevent transmission. They expressly say that they're measuring whether they um, attenuate symptoms. Okay, they attenuate symptoms. That doesn't sound like a vaccine to me. I mean, when I was a kid and I took the polio vaccine and I took the smallpox vaccine, I was assuming, my parents were assuming, and it was understood that I was not going to get that. I was never going to get polio. I was never going to get smallpox. It wasn't like a flu vaccine, which in a flu vaccine, they do that, right? They say, yeah, we're just kind of chasing the virus. We think it's going to be this. Take this vaccine. It'll help your symptoms if you get the flu you won't die. It's good for old people because it'll keep them from dying. That's basically what she's saying here that, that this vaccine was built to do. Attenuate symptoms. So they're 95% effective based on their clinical trials at attenuating symptoms for the first variant, which is essentially gone in our population. Right now, the predominant variant is the Delta and um, CDC Director Walensky basically said that these vaccines have no ability to prevent infection by and transmission of the Delta variant. There you go. The vaccines were made for one variant, one. So I, I liken this to, you think about a piano keyboard and you hit a, one note on the piano in one key. You go like, say it's, say it's the C note. You hit a C. Well, the vaccine was made to stop the C note. If the, if, the vac, if the variant changes and jumps over to the E note, the vaccine doesn't work very well, where broad-based immunity would take up the whole octave, C through C, right? It would take the whole octave up and say, eh, anything that makes a noise, I'm going to stop it. So these, these mRNA vaccines are very specific to the specific thing they're designed to do. They don't give you a broad-based immunity. They give you a narrow immunity, although it may extend to a little bit to help you basically keep from dying. They're not the same as a broad-based immunity you would get for this cold virus. And let's just start calling it a cold virus because it's a cold virus. So our policy needs not to be built on the hope of what we think something we want it to do, but what the data actually tell us. So do these viruses prevent, the? I mean, do the vaccines prevent the virus from infecting and uh, replicating in the nose and nasopharynx? No, they've only been shown to prevent that replication in the lungs. They're different, the mucosa is very different than the lungs, it's very different than the blood. You inject it to the blood, you make antibodies in your blood. The virus isn't infecting your blood, it's infecting your mucosa and you don't produce any IgA to neutralize it. In fact, recent studies have shown that the vaccinated, especially with the Delta variant, and the unvaccinated have similar amounts of virus in their nose and throat. In Barnstable, Massachusetts, the CDC tracked an outbreak of 469 cases of COVID. 74% occurred in fully vaccinated, and four out of five of those hospitalized were vaccinated. All right, so maybe they are mandating this because they just didn't know with the COVID. And so my main complaint is with our health agencies and the CDC who basically know better and are misleading the public. So let's look at DTaP, which the scientists and the CDC have known since 2014 that the acellular pertussis vaccine does not prevent people from getting infected with the pertussis bacteria and passing it to others. In fact, it was never designed to do that. The vaccine was designed to neutralize the pertussis toxin. Pertussis, we know it as whooping cough. It can be fatal for children under six months. So neutralizing this toxin saves lives, all right? I'm not gonna debate that. 
But what it doesn't do is neutralize the bacteria. So what happens is fully vaccinated children go to daycare, they pick up that bacteria, and they come home and they give it to their newborn brother or sister. They get deathly ill and they go to the hospital. Hopefully our medical professionals are able to save them. But who do they blame? Now the CDC is blaming anti-vaxxers for the limitations of this vaccine design. I suggest that they be transparent and tell parents that although it is preventing severe disease in their children, it is not preventing transmission because we have created a whole class of asymptomatic pertussis carriers who are increasing the disease. Now, the old DTP vaccine that many of you who are my age or older got did prevent transmission. When we switched to the safer acellular virgin, they knew that it was never designed to pre prevent transmission. It was safer, it had less adverse events, but pertussis um, cases have gone through the roof. There's a resurgence in pertussis because of the design of the vaccine. And the vaccinologists know this, they're trying to address it, and so we cannot mandate that something that does not prevent transmission. So that's important. You shouldn't be mandating something that doesn't stop transmission. So the current vaccines we have for COVID-19 don't keep you from getting it and don't keep you from spreading it. In fact, you probably spread it worse than you did before because now you can spread it asymptomatically where before there was almost no cases of asymptomatic spread of COVID-19. So let's, let's, let's talk one more time. It doesn't keep you from getting it and doesn't keep you from spreading it. It may even keep you, it may even make you more susceptible to spreading it than before. All right, what about the flu vaccine? Well, they have shown that basically it, there's no difference, there's no statistical difference if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether you get the flu or not. But it's even worse because although that first year, it is somewhat effective, it's about 65% effective at preventing um, symptoms in you, after that, it actually has negative efficacy. And I want to address this because it's very important. Vaccines are made to a specific variant. And when that variant mutates, the vaccine no longer recognizes it. And so it's like you're seeing a completely new virus. And be because that's so, you actually get more severe symptoms when you're vaccinated against one variant and then it mutates and then your body sees the other variant. So there's the potential and the science shows that in fact with the flu, if you get uh, vaccinated in multiple years, you are more likely to get severe disease, you are more likely to have more viral replication and you are more likely to be hospitalized both in adults and in children. We are seeing the same thing in COVID with the Delta variant. And so we are mandating that people get a vaccine that could actually make them more sick when they're um, exposed to the virus. In fact, this week, a paper came out and what it showed is that with this Delta variant, when you're vaccinated, your body makes antibodies that are supposed to neutralize the virus, but they were supposed to neutralize the old variant. When they see this new variant, what they're doing is they're actually, the antibodies are taking the virus and helping it infect the cells. All right, that science was just published this week. We need to be looking at the science and we need our policy to reflect the science and we also need it to reflect our rights. I don't know about you, but I'd never heard that about the flu vaccine. This sounds like the antibody dependent enhancement that's been talked about by the previous Dr. Dan Stock and now this is Dr. Christina Parks. Pretty scary stuff, in my opinion. I didn't know this, I didn't know this about the flu vaccine certainly makes me question getting a flu shot. Okay. And so um, as a PhD who knows the science, I'm in the category of the most vaccine hesitant group. Yes, PhDs are the most vaccine hesitant, followed by people who have less than a high school degree because they know what they don't know and they don't trust their government. And okay, so there you go. That is Dr. Christina Parks and... Uh, just describing the current state of vaccines. The other thing that gets lost in some of this sometimes, you know, you, you remember in our intro, we always say it's always about the money. When you think it's not about the money, it's, it's about the money and you're not looking hard enough. Pfizer 
made almost a billion dollars in profit. And just in, in profit, I'm not talking about sales, I'm talking about profit on the vaccines in the first quarter of this year. A billion dollars. Maybe, okay, so maybe $900 million. So you got to ask the question, and oh, by the way, oh, that was before we talked about boosters every five months, six months, whatever it's going to be. You can, there's a lot of reason to pay people off. I'm not saying they did that. I don't have any facts on that. But you got to think for a billion dollars, if you got to spend, oh, 100 million here or there, you know, does it matter? And oh, by the way, the big pharma, they spend $3 billion a year on advertising. $3 billion a year on advertising. I don't know. Maybe some media companies might listen to what they say more than they listen to you or me or even a politician. So when someone says, yeah, we really would prefer you not put that story out there. That might make a difference. I don't know. I'm mean, just a thought. Just a thought. Just a thought. So I'm play a couple more clips here. And um, so we talked about the fact that this is really a cold virus. It's a cold virus. It's a coronavirus. Coronaviruses are cold viruses. It lives in the human population and the animal population. It's seasonal, just like a cold virus is seasonal. And it's probably not going away, unfortunately. So here's a clip with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who's, I think, from uh, Stanford. And he discusses this, and this is from uh, Cheryl Atkinson's discussion with him. And she's great. You should always go, if you can find, Cheryl Atkinson has a podcast, and she has uh, a TV show, too. Um, and she records that as a podcast as well. So look her up. She's got really good information. She's a real no kidding um, investigative reporter who goes and gets real information and real facts and is not a sensationalist. So this is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. This is an uh, excerpt from her discussion with him. Yeah, I mean, that is the, that's exactly how other, the other coronaviruses work. You get it. Anyone that's had kids has had this experience. The kids come home from daycare or from preschool or whatever, and they bring all the, 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 the germs with them, right? And then and parents spend, uh, you know, several years uh, be, becoming reacquainted with colds again. Um, I mean, that, 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 that actually is actually a healthy thing, especially for the kids. The kids get exposed to these coronaviruses when they are young and it produces almost no, no, uh, nothing other than sniffles. And then when they're older, they are protected against severe disease that would have happened if they weren't were immune naive to those, co those same coronaviruses. That is the uh, likely long-term outcome from COVID. Okay, wait a minute. So listen to what he said there. He said, immune naive. So what's happening, what happens here is older people are immune naive. We're all immune naive to this virus, but younger people are immune naive to lots of things. So their immune system is is really highly works really really well and processes this and builds up antibodies and gets over it really quickly. We all did that when we were children. We all did that when we were young. We had all these coronaviruses. We had these colds when we were young, and we got over them. And when we got older. They didn't affect us. We still got colds, but they didn't affect us really bad because we already had these colds. We already had some form of these colds when we were children or when we were younger at some point in life. We got these colds and we got over them and we built up some immunity and some antibodies to these colds. What's happening now is we're all we're all naive to these to this virus. The children do really well. The older people who have 
inherent health problems because that's what happens when you get older, right? You you develop these health issues and and their immune system is not as good as say a five year old or six year old or a two year old. We develop these really severe symptoms. Much like what happened if let's say you get the mumps or measles when you're sixty versus or chickenpox versus when you're five or six. So I think that's what's going on. That's what's reading between the lines. Well, with between these, what these doctors are saying and what these studies are saying, this is a cold virus. It's never going away. You're going to get it. I'm going to get it. You're going to get it. Everybody's going to get it. So unfortunately, we have to be, try to stay as healthy as possible and try to situate ourselves to the fact that when we do get it, we don't end up in the ICU somewhere. More, let's see what else Dr. Bhattacharya may have to say here. COVID. It'll turn into a fifth circulating coronavirus uh, in the human population. Uh, there's some uh, interesting historical information for data for suggesting that when um, OC43, which is this like uh, circulating coronavirus, first entered the human population, I think in the ni- late 19th century in Russia, it produced an enormous epidemic, but now it's just a circulating cold. Um, and that that the the proceed the 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 the, uh, the the outcome that you said, which is exactly what happened with it, I think, is children just get exposed to OC forty three when they're little. Um, it doesn't produce a very severe result, and because of that, they get immunity so that when they're exposed to it later in life, maybe multiple times later in life, because you get multiple times you get a cold, um, it it doesn't produce severe disease. I think that is uh, that is likely the likely longer term outcome of COVID as well. So there you go. That's what he's saying. That's a likely long-term outcome to COVID as well. So just for one more uh, voice around the same issue, this is Sir Andrew Pollard in the UK. And uh, he's gonna, he talks a little bit here about herd immunity and the fact that you're not going to get to herd immunity with vaccines and probably not get to, get to herd immunity in general with this. So just a quick little thing here. This is not a very long clip, but you'll hear what, what he has to say here as well. The situation here with this current variant uh, where herd immunity is not a possibility because it still infects uh, vaccinated individuals. Um, and I suspect that what uh, the virus will throw up next is a, is a variant which is perhaps even better at transmitting in vaccinated populations. And so that's an even more of a reason not to be making a vaccine program around herd immunity. I, I don't think there's anything the UK can do to stop the emergency of new variants. They're going to happen. And- so there you go. Herd immunity is not going to happen. You can't, you can't vaccinate your way to herd immunity with this virus. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff we could talk about. Um, what are some of the other lies that are out there? Um, we could probably do a whole a whole episode on some of the uh, therapeutics and some of the drugs out there. You know the the whole the old remdesivir they tend to be treating people with. You know, there's a lie that it's super effective. Well, it's really not. Um, there's a whole bunch of information out there that says it doesn't really do anything. It helps your recovery, but it doesn't keep people from dying. You know, there was the whole hydroxychloroquine study with the Veterans Administration back uh, early summer of last year, where they basically overdosed all these people on hydroxychloroquine, and they were already really sick and almost dead to begin with. Um, And then also, as part of one of those studies, they had uh, another company basically just lied. They just had a bunch of data, and they lied it was uh, storm something. I have to find that. But, anyways, they, it was just the whole thing. The whole thing was made up, and it was a lie, and it was promoted by the media because, of course, Trump was a champion of hydroxychloroquine. And of course, we talked about Dr. Fauci saying the vaccine immunity is better than natural immunity, and of course, it's not. There was uh, there's been a lot of talk out there recently about ivermectin that it's dangerous 
you know, there's no treatments, but ivermectin is dangerous. And that's, there's been no indication for all the time that that's out there that ivermectin is anything but safe. In fact, it's probably as safe as Tylenol. There was a lie, a big story and a lie promoted by the Rolling Stone magazine. And I think it was on MSNBC with Rachel Maddow that said Oklahoma rural, rural, rural emergency rooms in Oklahoma were so busy from overdoses of ivermectin, they couldn't treat gunshot victims. And immediately I knew that was a lie because what do you have in rural Oklahoma for gunshot victims? You might have one or two or half a dozen a year versus Chicago who has 60 in one weekend. So as soon as I heard that, I thought, well, that's stupid. That's not, that's a lie. And then of course it, it came out that this doctor that said this, he's not even working in that hospital. So the whole thing was just made up. Of course, Rolling Stone has a, history of that, because they also, if you remember, were the ones who put out the whole story of the, uh, I believe it was uh, University of North Carolina lacrosse team and the the rape instance and all that kind of stuff. So, so they have a history of publishing basically fallacies and misinformation. And of course, then there's the whole, you know, the vaccine is entirely safe. And I can tell you from with a that I know for a fact it's not entirely safe because I have a friend who basically lost her hearing because she w- of the vaccine. And that's a whole nother discussion. And of course, then the other lie, the vaccine is effective. And we know that the vaccine is not entirely effective. If you have to go get a, get a, a new booster every five to six months, it's not very effective. And so what are some of our truths? Well, the truth is this thing lives in the animal population as well as the human population. The truth is that the natural immunity is 27 times better than the vaccine. This thing is not going away. And if you're vaccinated, you can still get this virus and you can still spread the virus. So a lot of information, a lot of bouncing around, I guess, in some ways. It's not a linear linear discussion in some ways, but a lot of things I thought I I wanted to get out there and put it all together in one place so you can hear it all in one package. And hopefully everybody is doing things to stay healthy and take, take some vitamins, take vitamin D, take some zinc, do all those things. And you can look all that stuff up and maybe I'll have a episode. We'll talk about that. But do all those things because the reality of it is it's not going away. If you haven't had it, you're probably going to get it. Maybe you already had, maybe you already had it and didn't know it. You have antibodies. But hopefully, hopefully everybody's staying safe and healthy and we'll get through all through this. So again, thanks for listening to The Facts Are What Matter. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Facts Are What Matter podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to catch our future episodes.